Hallelujah. You have your Bibles with you tonight or your iPads or your iPhones that have the Bible in them? You know, I'm an old school. I do have my Bible um, downloaded on my phone, uh, but I'm pretty old school when it comes to the written word. I just, I think there's something cool about a, uh, and right. I don't, I, I don't know that I can say wrong about not, about relying totally upon technology, but, you know, just for s- sake of thought, if our technology left us and we had thrown out all our written word, we'd be in a jam, wouldn't we? So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we got to have this, I think, at some point. I think it's just good. I think it's just, it just, just for me. Maybe I'm old school, but uh, James chapter 4 and 5, we're going to jump in there in a moment. I want to give you uh, a little background about where we've been in the book of James, the journey through James, all right? And let's just be reminded of the theme, uh, and it really it's just the importance of developing of faith that works. How many of you want your faith to work? I mean, some people wonder, you know, uh, you know, without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. So if your faith's not working, you're not pleasing God. So with that in mind, James comes along. And if you remember, James is writing to the church that has been scattered from Jerusalem. He's the pastor of the local church there in Jerusalem. And, and he went from kind of a doubting brother of Jesus, younger brother, to the pastor of the church. How many of you know know, uh, the resurrection changes everything? And that's what happened with James, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his uh, older half-brother, if you will, uh, who just happened to be the the king of kings and the lord of lords. You know, it was kind of hard for him to swallow. Can you imagine your older brother saying, oh, I need to tell you all now that I'm God. Uh, and I'm going to die and be buried and rise again the third day. Okay, we knew you were spiritual, but you've been all, you've just gotten a little off. And that's what, that's what the family, the scripture certainly even more than infers that they believed about him. But once he w- rose from the dead, things changed. Everything changed for James. And he comes along to this church and he writes, and, and most theologians believe one of the first, if not the first, a written word from the standpoint of the New Testament, the, the inspired Word of God uh, from the standpoint of the New Testament Scriptures uh, is through the half-brother or the younger brother of Jesus, James. And so he, he writes to the church that is scattered, and he's encouraging them and bringing correction. And really the whole theme is to, is to let your faith work, begin to develop a faith that works not only for you, But, hey, how many of you know our faith needs to work through us? A faith that works for you and a faith that works through you. And that's the whole purpose of the gospel. It's not just for me. How many of you realize that? It's not, Jesus just, he didn't come just to die for me so I could be blessed and I could go to heaven. His purpose is much greater than that. It's it's not a faith that just works for us. It's a faith that works through us. And so he comes and he encourages uh, and he brings correction because if you know anything about the from reading James, the church had to got had gotten a little uh, self indulgent, if you will, and from his perspective, very self indulgent. I'm trying to be nice, but he he was pretty stout. In fact, last week we learned he's stouter than what nine acres of mowed garlic. That's pretty stout, isn't it, Mark? I don't know if you've ever, I mean, come on now, we'd have to go somewhere where there was nine acres of mowed garlic and 
and in the, uh, to, to confirm that, but just believe me, it's pretty stout. And he came stout, but he also came with compassion and care. I don't know about you, I appreciate somebody that speaks the word of God over my life in love. It says, this is the issue, but let me help you. And so uh, that's where uh, uh, kind of the whole concept is. And then last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the tongue. Uh, and we're going to see that issue again. That says last week. It was really a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then we learned uh, a couple weeks ago with the tongue that it was really, he was addressing something that was uh, the, really the root of the problem, and that is a hypocritical heart. Everybody say a hypocritical heart. Everybody get a little furrowed brow and say hypocrite. That's what we want to say to somebody else. But hey, we, we need to realize that we all have these issues in our life. And, and the more I read and the more I study uh, James, I realize that a whole lot of the book addresses the hypocrisy of our heart. Now, if you remember what hypocrisy means, it means what? The root word is to what? Wear a mask. Wear a mask. I'm two-faced kind of. I'm trying to pretend I'm something that I'm not, or I'm trying to hide who I am so people will see something else. That, that's the hypocrisy uh, of that James is addressing here, and that's what he addresses there in chapter 3 about the tongue. He, he says, can, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Uh, thus no spring yields both salt weather, weather and, pardon me, salt water and fresh. Uh, and then as he goes on through this, this idea, uh, he says we are to be without hypocrisy. Everyone say without hypocrisy. Without a mask. We can't be two-faced. We can't, in fact, chapter 4, he talks about being double-minded. It's really the same kind of thing, being double-minded. And, and in chapter 4 that we looked at last week where he addressed the hypocritical heart. In fact, we gave you last week the cure for the hypocritical heart. It's found in verse seven, eight, chapter 4, verse 7, 8, and 9. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And here's the cool part. And he will lift you up. Everybody smile now and say, and he will lift you up. See, there is, there, for every diagnosis, there is a biblical prescription. His diagnosis for this church was they were hip, hypocritical. And in chapter 4, the first few verses, they're like adulterers and adulteresses. Everyone say adulterers and adulteresses. How many of you know those folks are hypocritical? They're drawing from, from two wells. And we read from Proverbs, hey, you just can't do that. You've got to be a one-hearted, uh, you know, single-focused uh, type of person. And so he's addressing all that. And last week, I want to tell you, I just, it ministered to me. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you. I would request. I would beseech. I would behoove. I would, uh, uh, I might even beg you uh, it, to, to go back and listen to last week. Not that I just want you to hear me talk, but I want you to really, if you haven't thoroughly embraced this mindset uh, that James is trying to get across, uh, uh, to go back and listen and just just embrace the cure for a hypocritical heart and, and just humble ourselves and then let him lift us up. Everybody smile and say, he will lift you up. I love that. I love that. He, hey, if you, just, if you just take the medicine here, 
If you just open your eyes and begin to take the medicine, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your uh, hearts and your hands, you double-minded, lament and mourn and weep, uh, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Uh, you'll begin to find a healing in your heart and, and, and the hypocrisy of our life that we all on some level have to address. Am I, am I right? How many of you ever had a mask on? You just don't want people to see the real you, maybe embarrassed, whatever the circumstances are. I just don't know if I, or we're trying to, not trying to cover up something, but trying to be something we're not, you know, and be some, you know, be that and, not, and, and something else, you know. But, uh, uh, hey, we all have to address that. So that's kind of where we, where we've come from. And we realize that the sins of the tongue, the tongue was the fruit of the problem. How many of you know the heart was the root of the problem? Everybody say, the tongue is the fruit of the problem. The heart is the root of the problem. And as you'll see tonight, he continues to address that issue with the tongue and the issue with the heart a little bit. So with that in mind, let's jump in. We're going we're gonna to look at the rest of the chapter 4. We dropped off at verse 11, uh, and uh, we're going to go through there all the way down. Oh, gosh. Uh, Really, probably all the way to verse 12. Now, I don't know if I'm going to read all of this because of the sake of time, but I'm just going to, I would love, I think I would like to, um, let me just see, let me see how much time I got. Uh, whew, uh, I, I think I'll just hit, hit the high points here and let you fill in the blanks and read. Now, so, so with that in mind, we're going to look at James chapter 3, verse really beginning in uh, verse 11, uh, and then all the way through. And here's what I want you to see, uh, really, uh, uh, in these chap- in the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 is, is what James is, is trying to really uh, uh, hammer down in our hearts. With that in mind, before I just get right into it, I want to ask you something somewhat hypothetical. Here it is. Let's suppose that we are all 30 days away from standing before God to give an account of how we have lived our lives. What would we do? Let's suppose, this is, this is hypothetical, somewhat hypothetical. Let's suppose that we, by some way of revelation, got the understanding that in 30 days we would stand before God, which we all will do at some point in our life. We would stand before God and give an account of how we lived our life on planet Earth. 30 days. Now, hypothetically speaking, I need your help. What do you think you would be doing in those 30 days prior to your meeting with the resurrected Christ who, we, who would then require us to give an account of our life on planet earth. Somebody help me. What do you think you might be doing it during those 30 days? More Christ-like than ever before. A mad scramble for your family, trying to save people left and right. Somebody else. Thoughts. Now, put it in context. Of, of James in his letter to the church who had been kind of self-serving or, or more than self-serving. When he calls you adulterers and adulteresses, there's some issues. How many of you know we'd be addressing the issues of our hearts? Because you know, you would know that the mask is not going to work with him. 
Am I right? And in fact, we know already the mass doesn't work with him. But if we think about it, we pondered, what would we be doing? We would be forced by way of the understanding. I'm going to stand before God who knows all, sees all. He knows the heart. We would, we would be forced to address the areas of our heart. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look. I want to show you a snapshot here of, of what James is, is trying to get across uh, and, and, and here it is, uh, from James 4 and 5. Here's what he's going to be endeavoring to do. And that is to awaken the church to a more temporal understanding of the present. You get it? A more temporal understanding of the present and the necessity to adjust and reprioritize our world to embrace a better, more eternal perspective. Now, that's a lot, a, a lot of words there, but hey, he, he's, he's coming to them. I'm going to show you this. It pretty much amazed me when I, when I really put my, put my kind of study hat on here. He's trying to get them out of the natural realm in their thinking. What did he just say about them in James chapter 4? Man, you're, you're, you're trying to be friends with the world and friends with God. You, hey, to, if, you, if you're going to be a friend with the world system, you make yourself the enemy of God. He's, he, he's, he's saying, come on now, you've got you to snap out of this. You can't be double-minded. You can't be hypocritical. Uh, and, and, and you've got to awaken yourself to the temporal nature of where you are. You know, when Christians began to live like the world on planet earth, there's something about them that has lost the understanding of eternal perspective. They're living for the here and now, enjoying the, 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 the fruits, if you will, uh, of this world system and just believing somehow uh, that everything on the end is going to be all right without a reality that we will all stand before him and give an account of our life. So, this is what he's trying to do in these passages of Scripture is to awaken the church to the reality of the temporal or even the destructive uh, uh, nature of a worldly mindset. And he's saying, hey, you've got to understand how temporary this is. Where you live. How many of you know life on planet Earth is terminal? The shortest amount of time we'll ever live anywhere is planet Earth. And here comes James, the pastor of the church, trying to awaken the church to this reality. Now, here's the snapshot. The snapshot of this idea through, gosh, just a few verses, he's, he's hammering it home. Look in James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of anyone, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But you judge the law, but if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law, but a not, not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now catch verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, here's what, a, here's, here's an allusion to a reference that I believe he's trying to get. A, uh, how, how many of you think, uh, in fact, uh, some passage of scripture says, there is one lawgiver and judge. Everybody say the judge. Now he's using a strong term here. Has any everybody, anybody here ever been before the judge? Oh man, that's nerve wracking, is it not? I've been, come on, let me see. I just got to say, I'm going to take a second. How many have ever been before the judge? Okay, all right. How many of you probably should have been before the judge at some point? We all should. So he comes and here he comes at them and he says, hey, catch this. 
There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? He's talking about, there's an allusion here, or a, or a veiled reference to the time when we will all stand before the lawgiver and the judge. And we will. In fact, the Bible, in fact, Paul called this uh, experience for Christians. When this world is no more, there's two judgments. Anybody, can, can anybody remember the two judgments? Help me with one. The judgment seat of Christ. Everyone say the judgment seat of Christ. And then the great white throne judgment. Now, everybody say the great white throne judgment. Now, because I, got, I didn't get a lot of uh, people saying, I know what the two judgments are. Uh, let's just do a test. If you had to choose which judgment you went to, who would choose the great white throne judgment? If you had to choose which one you were going to, who would choose the great white throne judgment to stand before God? All right. We got one willing volunteer. If you were willing to, if you were going to choose, who would choose the judgment seat of Christ? We got a few more, some abstaining. <laughs> some of you going, it's a trick. I don't know. Hey, this is not, this won't, hey, you, you didn't seal your fate right here. You may have sealed your ignorance, but you haven't sealed your fate. I don't know. And maybe I haven't taught you well. If, and Trent, I, you don't want to go to the great white throne judgment because that's for those who have, have not named the name of Christ. That's a bad, t you, if you get there and you hear it, the billboard says great white throne judgment, you remember this moment and go, OMG, have I messed up? The judgment seat of Christ, which two references, you can write these down and look them up later. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ uh, is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15. Now, without going there, here's what it, he talks about. We're going to all stand before God, and however we build on our foundation, wood, hay, or stubble, or precious uh, uh, metal or whatever, you remember that? And, and when we stand before him, our life will be judged, and that which is consumed will be no more. You remember that? You get it? Okay, you look it up later. We don't have time. But that's a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. When we will stand before God and that which is of no value is burned up and only what is, you know, which is uh, valuable to God remains. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. In fact, let me just quickly go there because I don't want to butcher this too much for you where you don't believe me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, uh, verse 9 and 10, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Now, why do we do that? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, uh, that may scare you a little bit. But the word judgment seat is the bema. Everyone, the Greek is bema, B-E-M-A. Everybody say bema. It's a reference to uh, the Greek games where there was an awards ceremony. Okay? You ever, anybody ever got an award? Anybody got a blue ribbon? Okay? And that's, that, uh, that Greek word is there will be a day called the judgment seat of Christ, which is the award ceremony where you will receive uh, a reward for what you have have. Uh, done good, and basically when you couple the totality of Scripture together, and what you did bad gets burned up. Are you with me? 
All right. How many of you want to at least get something like third place or something, man? You want to, okay. We must, we will all appear. Everybody say, we will all appear. Come on, we will all. All right. Before the judgment seat of Christ. And here we go back to James now. Because of this hypocrisy of our life, he comes and he says basically this. Uh, and, and, and he says, hey, listen, there's one lawgiver and judge. Who are you to judge another? He's beginning to reference the reality that we will one day stand before him. Now, if you don't believe me, look down in James 4, verse 13 through 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Here's this. Now, catch this. Here he goes. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What's he referencing? The temporal nature of this world we live in. Your life is a vapor. Look at your, na- look at your neighbor and say, your, li- your life is a vapor. And so he's coming to the hypocritical church and he's saying, you've got to get an understanding of the temporal nature of the world you live in and get an eternal perspective. Look, look what he says in James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich and you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. I want to stop and time out. Now, remember who, who James is. Who is James? He's the half-brother, the little brother of Jesus. Now, if we had time, we could go back to the words of Jesus when it talks about uh, storing up rich, uh, treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. Do you think he was listening to his big brother Jesus at some point in life? He's saying, hey, this all stuff is corroded. Now, look what he says. It'll be a witness against you. You will eat your flesh. It will eat a uh, witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. God, he holds no, pulls no punches. And you have heaped up treasure when? In the last days. Now, get the feel here. He said, hey, you're, you, you, you think it's eat, hey, we're just, hey, it's all about me. You, he said, you need to understand this stuff you're, 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 you're latching on to is temporary and it's fact going to come back and eat you up. Uh, and you've, what you've done, if you've heaped up treasure for yourselves in the last days, in other words, this is the last thing you need to be doing in the last days is just having a big party and thinking it's all about you. Okay. He's, he, he used the phrase last days. Everybody say last days. Now look down in verse seven. Now here's where he starts giving the prescription. He's continued to diagnose. Now he gives prescription and, and we'll come back to it. But look what he says, verse seven, therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord. Uh Oh, there's another reference to the temporary world we live in. All right. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he, until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts. Oh, look at verse eight. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Oh, now catch this. 
Behold, he goes back to judge now. The judge is standing at the door. So what do we see in these few verses? Literally, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen verses at least. Four somewhat direct, four very direct, three very direct, and one somewhat veiled reference to the temporary circum, uh, the temporary nature of our present world and the eternal understanding that we will all stand before the judge one day and give an account of the life we lived on planet Earth. So now put this back into perspective of him addressing the hypocritical heart. He said, Hey, what you've got to do is you've got to realize that, hey, life on planet Earth is temporary. But we will all stand before Him and give an account of how we live life on planet Earth. Now, that was written... Uh, anybody guess? I, 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 don't, I didn't write this down. This was written 2,000 plus years ago. All right? And we're still here. And here's what people say about that. Well, preacher, people have been saying that for centuries. Paul said it. We're in the last. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, Peter preached it. Hey, in fact, if you have any pr- prophetic insight, uh, if you remember uh, Peter on Pentecost, he preached about in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In my perspective, the birth of the church was when the when the hourglass of God uh, was really stopped so God could, the age of grace could come along, but it's what we call. And here's what you need to understand without going too deep into prophecy because I can't go very deep into prophecy. There is a blank span of time called the age of grace in the time clock of God when we, we don't know how long it is or how short it is. We do know a day with the Lord's a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And so these guys lived with the reality that Jesus Christ, hey, uh, James, uh, uh, the little brother of Jesus, heard his brother at some point say, hey, let me tell you, Matthew 24 and 25, about the last day. And these guys live with the reality in their mind, the, the, the thought and the concept that life on planet Earth was very, very temporary. Well, now, preacher, people have been saying that for centuries. Here's what I believe the Bible wants us to get out of that. Are you ready? Here's what, here's what God wants us to get. He, what God wanted uh, the church that James was addressing to get, that we've got to live our life like this could be the day. And James comes along to this church. He said, man, you guys have gotten, hey, remember the day when you thought that this could be the day? You forgot about it. And you forgot about the reality that the judge, and now think about what Jesus said. He told them, he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but I am coming back. Now, this, this happened in their lifetime. And now all the promises of God and the Word of God has become alive in them. And they, they began this journey knowing, uh, this resurrected life journey, knowing that, hey, He could come back any day. But tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. One year, two years, five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years 
churches scattered all over the place. And they began to forget about what Jesus had said. And they stopped living their life like this could be the day. And I think the Bible is telling us and teaching us, especially from the prophetic and, and, the, and the corrective word of the little brother of Jesus, the bold little brother of Jesus, as Mark Driscoll calls him, that, hey, th- that, that we've got to return to a reality that life on planet Earth is temporary and begin to live our life like, this, hey, like I said earlier, that, that, that any day now we could all stand before him. And the reality is, that any day we could stand before him and give an account of our life we lived on planet earth and have to address the hypocrisy of our hearts. So you get that? To me, to me, that, that thought is somewhat cloaked and, and I think we get weighted down. Oh, he's talking about being rich and what you do with your money. He's talking about don't being judgmental and those are true. But the theme written through all of them is this. Hey, Life on planet earth is temporary. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account of your life. That, hey, this is the, 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 the end times. This is the last days. The judge is standing at the door. And we need, to, we need to return to that in our mindset. And because of that, they had lost that mindset. He addresses in James 4 and 5, just in a very matter-of-fact way, he addresses the wrong mindsets that they had developed because of this lack of understanding. And he, and he begins to deal with, their, with their, their flawed mindset. The first one is he, he deals with their judgmental mindsets. That's what, he, that's what he says in verse 11. Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one judge. Very clearly, hey, you've lost the understanding that the, judge, the real judge is standing at the door and you've taken his place and started judging one another. I think we've got to be careful with that. In fact, I've seen, a, I've seen some of this in, in ministry. Ministers, they get to a place where they think they're all, they're, I don't know, and they start unnecessarily placing themselves as the judge and jury of people's hearts and motives. Listen, you better be really careful when you do that. Let me try that again. You better be really careful when you start judging someone's heart. Let me say that one more time. You better be really, we better, let me, let me put it, I better be really careful. If I come to the, I look at somebody and without knowing the heart of man, I, I judge the intent of their heart. And James says, he said, there's only one judge. To me, that's huge. Because what's he saying? You put yourself in the place of God. You think you're God by judging one another. There's only one judge. And then he ends this thought, and and he's standing at the door. And you're going to have to stand before him and give an account of the judgmentalism of your heart. So he he addresses the judgmental mindset. And number two, he addresses self-sufficient mindset. That's what he's doing in verse 13. 
He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, and buy and sell and make a profit. Now, that's, there's nothing wrong. How many of you know there's nothing wrong with making a profit? How many of you know, how many appreciate profit? In fact, the Bible says it gives us all good things to enjoy. How many of you know the Bible teaches that we should be prosperous and we should have good success, right? But he's, ju- he's talking about, this whole thing's about the heart. And he says, he says, you say you're going to go here, do that, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. It's even a vapor and appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. What, what is he addressing here? The self-sufficient mindset of their life. Man, let me just tell you something. When God begins to bless us and bless us and bless if we're not careful, we'll begin to think we did it. And he blessed, how many of you know he loves to bless his kids? But they had developed, they had lost the mindset of, of, of eternity and got into a mindset, man, it's about me. We're going to go here. We're going to make money. We're going to do this. We're going to make a profit. I'm going to, oh, man. I, I, you know what I heard Pastor Randy say at the men's crawfish? It kind of took me by surprise. But it, he said, the Bible says, don't desire to be rich. And I'm going to have to look that up. But, what he, but the reality is, if that's the motive, if our, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with possessions. But if our possessions possess us, we got a problem. What did Jesus tell the, the rich young ruler? Ruler, He addressed his heart. That, hey, and you can't make theology out of what he did with the rich, rich young ruler because it doesn't, it's not theological. It's for his heart. Go sell every, everything you have and give it to the poor. He knew what was in his heart. And so the church here had become so internalized or, 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 or self-focused and self-sufficient and it's all about me that the blessings of God had come upon them. He said, hey, folks, you need to realize uh, you've got to know, hey, uh, let's ask God about this. You ought to say, if the Lord wills. Everyone say, if the Lord wills. So James addresses their judgmental mindset, their self-sufficient mindset, uh, the, the, that were all a result of their lack of uh, that uh, their lack of uh, understanding of the temporal nature of where they were in the eternal place that they would one ba- one day be, and then he addresses their self-serving mindset, and that's what James chapter five verse one through five is all about about gaining up. He said, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you, not will come upon you, might come upon you, that are coming upon you. He's addressing the self-serving mindset of the church. Did you know that that's a prevailing, it's all about me. Hey, I've been around a while, I know. In fact, it's kind of it's hard uh, uh, sometimes to minister to the culture of our day because we're so focused and, and, and we, we look at church like we look at restaurants and we go, oh, you know, uh, I'm going there because they serve, you know, crab legs. Whoa, it's all you can eat. And the kids have fun too. They got video games and all. I mean, because the church has, has realized that they're ministering to a self serving 
mindset in our culture and in some ways we've dumbed down our ministry to the place where where we we're trying to you know we're trying to reel them in and we're using the the that bait to get them in but how many of you know whatever you you use to catch them that's what you got to use to keep them (laughs) and james comes along and say hey guys man you've got so self-serving so much so that you're, hey, this is this one that, that spooked me a little bit. Uh, he said, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You are so self-consumed. And now I'm, I'm speaking parenthetically here. I think that's correct. I'm not addressing us per se, but he's addressing the church. He said, you're so self-consumed and so concerned about money, you're f- the people who mowed your yard, Ryan, this ought, to, this ought to ring true to you. You've kept back that money, and that money is crying out, and the, and the cries of the reapers that you have defrauded out of money have reached the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, you really, you, you, this sounds like who would do that? People do it every day. Trying to, so consumed with self. So here comes James and, and he's trying to snap them out of this mindset that, hey, everything's fine. We're just having a blast. And he's trying to get them back to the understanding of the temporary nature of where they are in life and the fact that they will all stand before the judge one day. And so you've got to have a more eternal perspective about life. And so, he, and, and, and so to get them back into the proper mindset, he addresses the judgmental mindsets, the self-sufficient mindset, and the self-serving mindset. Now, and here's what I like about James. He's, he's like matter of fact. This is kind of how I preach. I like this. Uh, you don't have to read between the lines with James. He's not tiptoeing around the tulips. In fact, go back to uh, the, the getting the hypocritical heart fixed, you know, back from last week. Okay, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, Le- uh, lament and mourn, humble yourselves, and he'll lift you up. How many of you appreciate that? I appreciate it. I, that's something I can wrap my arm, my, my head around. That's something around my thought. Okay, don't, don't, you know, don't talk in, in, in uh, just tell me. Give me the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And he's, he's that way. And here he goes again with the same angle. And I'm going to break it down for you like this and call it Pastor James in times do's and don'ts. Pastor James... In times, do's and don'ts. Are you with me? How many of you want the don'ts first? I said, how many of you want the don'ts first? Well, I'm glad you do because that's where they're coming in the, in, in the notes. So he addresses the judgmental mindsets, the self-sufficient mindset, and the self-serving mindset. So here, then he gives, he fleshes it out with some do's and don'ts. First one is, don't speak evil, verse 11. Don't speak evil of another. He who speaks evil of another and judges his brother speaks evil of the law. Uh-oh, there we go. Now follow these don'ts. 
How many of you know that's a sin of the tongue? And, and if you remember just the last chapter or so, he addressed that pretty clearly. So he just said, don't speak evil. Now, everybody say, stop that. When your kids do something that is just blatantly against the rules. Now, I know some of you parents might be really phenomenal parents and go, now let's sit down and discuss this. I know you didn't carry out the trash. It was probably just an oversight on your part. And I know you spit at your sister. And I know you probably didn't mean to. Let's discuss what might we could do, positive reinforcement, that hopefully at some point in your life you, you would choose not to spit at your sister. I know some of you parents, me, don't spit on your sister. Am I right? Am I, am I right? Okay, you, don't spit on your sister. And so here comes pastor. <laughs> don't be talking evil against people. Don't do that. Stop it. Okay, don't speak evil. Okay, enough said. Do we need counseling for that? No, we need to stop talking bad about other people. <laughs> I love that. The next don't is, don't boast about tomorrow. We read it in verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into this. He says, hey, but you boast to the, to, in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Don't sit around and boast about how great life is for you and how good things are going to be. How many of you don't appreciate that when other people do that with you? Whoo, man. We're going to make us some money. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Don't boast about tomorrow. Hey, get an understanding. You may not have a tomorrow. Number three, don't hoard the blessings. Now, that's chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. I missed this one, verse 5. I didn't get that far. Look in verse 5. This is indicting. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. That word luxury, uh, let me see what that means. I looked that up earlier. It's right here, verse 5, uh, uh, indulgence. That makes luxury, there's nothing wrong with luxury, but he, that word kind of is, is cloaked. He says this, you have lived on earth in pleasure and indulgence, which has a little more negative connotation, wouldn't you think? Some people, is it, you know, some people don't like the fact that others have luxuries in their life. Hey, if their hearts are right and they're blessed of God and they're givers and there's, hey, nothing wrong with luxury, but he's not talking about luxury. He's talking about, and some people have misinterpreted those things that we ought to all be like, you know, you know, the, the monk who has nothing and sits around and, you know, and eats dirt and, and uh, hey, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about indulgences of the flesh. You have lived on the earth and in pleasure and indulgence. Now catch this. You have fattened yourselves or your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now what's that a reference to? Did you know there was a season to slaughter the animals? Now, what did you do before you slaughtered the animals? You fattened them up. Everybody say, fatten them up. Whoo, we're about to have slaughter. Man, we're fixing to, we're fixing to live high on the Hog, and so we're going to fatten them up. What he, what, he, what he said is, you have fattened up your hearts with these indulgences, 
But you need to understand, it's just for the slaughter. You fattened yourself up for the slaughter here. Wow. Don't hoard the blessings. Pastor Siebert talked about three thoughts. He said, uh, what, was them, what were they writing? He said, you live, you live, one of them was as a giver in life. He was talking to men, being a macho man. You, you, you live a life of a giver. You're, a, you're one who blesses others. So don't hoard the blessings. And then, chapter 5, verse 9, here's another don't that is associated with these wrong mindsets. Don't grumble. Chapter 5, verse 9, which is in the middle of this really, uh, in fact, he says, don't grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. That word condemned means uh, uh, judged, for the judge is standing at the door. There's another sin of the tongue. We've got, so far we've got these don'ts. Don't speak evil. Don't boast about tomorrow. Don't hoard the blessings. Don't grumble. Three out of the four are sins of the tongue. Okay? Because if you grumble against one another, in fact, that word grumble means hold a grudge to the point of verbalizing it. That's Pastor Sam's kind of understanding of the word. Don't grumble. You know what grum- where grumbling comes from? People who got a grudge inside to the point that it comes out of their mouth. For out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So you get a grudge against somebody. Have you ever met anybody that did grum- grum- Probably You've probably never done this. They got under your skin so much that when you get around them, you say, oh, it's good to see you. And you go, let me see it. They got something in their heart that's coming out of their mouth. And again, Pastor James gets real deep here. Don't grumble. Stop your grumbling. Because if you do, you're going to be judged by your words. And oh, by the way, the judge is standing at the door. He's listening. He's listening. And then the last one, the last don't, don't swear. Now, it's not about cussing. Chapter 5, verse 12. This, my friend, is amazing. But above all, everybody say above all. Now, whew, this kind of throws me for a loop here. But when you get the me, now, when he says above all, he's referencing everything he's just said. But above all, don't swear. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little. But I'm going to put this together. Here we got a church that they were going, absolutely. But they're not following through because what's the problem? They're hypocritical. They're saying something and doing something else. They're promising, say, yeah, I'll be there, brother. I'll be there. And they don't show. Now, that's just, uh, that's just one angle of this. He said, and that's a sin of the tongue. Don't swear. Don't make an oath. How many of you know if we had time, we'd go back to the Old Testament talking about making oaths and then not keeping them. And In fact, the Scripture teaches, Jesus said, it's better to not make an oath than to make an oath and not keep it. In fact, did you know that... that, that James and Matthew, James is actually quoting his big brother Jesus here from Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 through 37. 
He's quoting his big brother about let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be clear with, with your words and don't be hypocritical with your words. Now, watch this. Everybody go, watch this. He says, above all, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you said yes, then let your yes be a yes. If you said no, don't waffle on that. Let your no be a no. Be clear. And now catch this. Lest you fall into judgment. Greek word hypocrisy. He's hitting it again. He said, above all, If you say yes, then follow through. If you say no, hey, don't be hypocritical with your oath. Don't promise something that you're not going to fulfill. Because if you do, you are a hypocrite. Wow. So he gets the end time don'ts pretty clear. Don't speak evil. Don't boast about tomorrow. Don't be a hoarder. Don't grumble, don't swear. Whew, how many of you want some end time dues? Now this is going to be better, okay? And there's basically three. And I love all of them, but there's one in the middle that is just phenomenal to me. Here we go. The end time dues, here they are. The first one is be patient. Everyone say, have patience. Verse 7, chapter 5, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives the illustration about the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the earlier and latter rain. You also be patient. Let me just throw this out. Last uh, Mother's Day, I bought my mother-in-law and my wife some kind of lily plant. It's not just the white lilies like we saw on Easter, but it's got a little pink and stuff in it. And, and it's a bulb. And so it's in the same pot that I bought it in, the bulbs, but I just left it on the porch and it let the rain. And so I was just hoping it'll come up and, and wouldn't it be awesome if it bloomed on Mother's Day? Well, it's grown up. It's about this tall out of the pot and there's all these pods that are just, they're flowers waiting to happen. But they will not pop out. In fact, today when I got back to the house, I go, they're not coming. I've been watching these things and watering this and come on, all right already. It's time to balloon. It's past Mother's Day. For goodness sake, I've had these conversations with this plant. And so James comes along and says, okay, all these issues that we're talking about, you've got to have patience. Now, any, any impatient people here? First question, when, when someone says you've got to be patient for the impatient, the first question is, well, how long? James' answer, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, the rest of your life on planet Earth. Be patient. Everyone say, be patient. And then the next one, the next end time do. That sounds kind of bad, but end time do. The do's and don'ts. Be established. Everyone say, be established. Look what he says. Verse 8. You also be patient. 
establish your hearts. Everyone say, establish your hearts. Oh, here he goes. He's dealing with the heart. He's talking about the heart. What, what kind of heart was he, was he, was, has he been addressing? The hypocritical heart. In fact, he hit it again. Hey, don't, uh, you know, in verse 12, uh, lest you fall into hypocrisy. You gotta get this out of your hearts. And then he says, okay, here's the, here's the prescription. Be patient. Establish your heart. The word establish. OMG means this, to set resolutely in a certain direction. Now, what's he been dealing with? The double-minded, the two-faced, masked, hypocritical heart. And he gives us the responsibility to be patient and go to work on our hearts. Get your heart resolutely focused and established in a certain direction. Now, let me go back to the beginning. When he, when he was, what we said in the beginning, what was his, what was his purpose? To get their minds off the temporary uh, uh, things of this world and on the eternal purposes of God and realize, that, hey, we're going to all stand before God one day. He's saying, here's your issue. You got a divided heart. You got a double mind. You're looking this way. And God says you've got to stay focused this way. Establish your heart. Get your heart focused in a certain direction. Resolute. Everyone say resolute. Now, anybody ever made any New Year's resolutions? How many of you, about January 6th, they all went down the tube, flushed them down the tubes, you know? That's not what he's saying here. He said, you've got to make some adjustments in your world about the priorities of your life. And to set your heart resolutely in a certain direction. Be patient. It's going to take time. But you've got to, you've got to recalibrate the purpose of life recalibrate and refocus on the purpose of God in your life. Wow. I love what Psalm 84 verse 5 says. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Now catch this. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What's pilgrimage? It's, hey, I'm, I'm, I am not a settler. I'm a pilgrim passing through. I'm a, what, in fact, the Bible calls us strangers in a foreign land. David said, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Hey, I, this is not my home. You know, those, oh, him. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, I can't remember the rest of this song. But I got that part. Everyone say, be patient. Everyone say, be established. 
And then the third one is be persevering. This is a deeper than just be patient. This is, this is an endurance test. Be, be patient, but be enduring. In chapter 5, verse 11, he said, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Oh, let me back up verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the intended end, his intended by the... His, Seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment or hypocrisy. Now, he says be persevering. In fact, the word persevering, I've said this before. In fact, I taught a series. It means to stay under pressure. When you get under pressure, don't bail. How many of you, most people, most of the Traumas of life have to do with pressure. Now, let's just remember that these people had experienced pressure. In fact, what I've learned a little bit about James, I'm going to have to validate this. He was under pressure. In fact, history, from what one pastor said, records that he was a martyr for Christ. They threw him off a tower, and he didn't die. How many of you know that's a little pressure? People just had enough of the pastor. We'll throw him off a tower. Now, I have to to validate that, but I just, just, from what I uh, was reading, one pastor gave that as a historical fact. I'm not sure where he got his, his facts, so you need to understand that. But he comes along and say, be persevering. Don't bail under pressure. Don't escape this moment. That, hey, this is, who, this is what we do. It's only temporary. Everyone say it's only temporary. In fact, I got just a second. Let me run over here. To, uh, I think it's, let's see if I can find it on the spur, on the, on the spur of the moment here. Second Corinthians chapter 3, I think I know where it is. Oh, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He said, what's he saying? This, this pressure you're under, it's only temporary. Turn around and tell somebody it's only temporary. So, hey, he says, be patient, be established. Hey, set your hearts resolutely in a certain direction and persevere. Don't bail under this. It's only temporary. Okay? And then he gives two, and I'm going to give you a third, end-time role models that he's telling them to follow. The first one is the prophets. Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. In fact, if you went over to Hebrews uh, chapter uh, uh, 11, verse 32 through 37, that's the, what's Hebrews 11? It's the chapter of about what? It's about faith. Hey, y'all did good on that. And, and, he, and it's like the hall of faith. And when he runs out of names, he says, and all these prophets and all these people who endured, and some of them suffered this, suffered that, they endured. And so James is coming at it again. He said, hey, the prophets endured. 
They suffered pressure and, and trauma. And hey, just like they did, you endure. And oh, let's talk about Job for a minute. But you remember the end of the story with Job. Uh, hey, God looked down and, and was merciful to him and blessed him. And how many of you know, was it a hundredfold? I don't remember. There in the last of Job, God gave him back. Uh, you know, just a, a multiplied blessing in his life. And that's what James is referencing here. Hey, hey, if you endure, there is, how many of you know, if you endure, there is some promise and provision in your life. And that's what he's saying here in this endurance. Hey, hey, realize something that, that even though we suffer, even though the prophet suffered, hey, there, there is a reward. And even though Job suffered, there is a reward. So be persevering and then how many of you think probably he knew a little bit about his big brother's suffering? In fact, what does Hebrews chapter 12 say? Now, let me just pause. Let me, let me, let me build the case. He saw his big brother suffer like no other under the hands of cruel men. And not only was it physical suffering, but he, he carried upon his back not just the wooden cross and the stripes, but the sins of the whole world. Now that's pressure. Everybody said, that's pressure. And Hebrews chapter 12 comes along and says, verse 2, Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Now, let me go back before I finish this verse. What's James trying to do with this church? Get their, get their eyes and heart off of the things of this world and back on the eternal perspective of God for their life. Life on planet Earth is temporary. It's temporal. It's terminal. Hey, quit looking this way. Quit, hey, quit, quit playing the field, if you will, and being hypocritical in your hearts. And here we find the role model Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he, he, he had his eye on the prize. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How could Jesus have endured? Well, he's the Son of God. Yeah, but he was all man, too. How I many of you know the Son of God? It hurt when they put nails in his hands. It hurt when they put stripes on his back. It hurt when they crushed the crown of thorns. He was all man, but all God. He suffered pain. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. He felt that, but how could he have gone, how could he go through that? He had his eyes, his heart was resolutely established in a certain direction. And he endured. Everyone say, be patient. Everyone say, be established. Everyone say, be persevering. Whoa. So all of us at some point, let's stand together. Our minds, hearts are challenged by the things of this world. Are they not? Are they not? 
Now, think about that early church. They had been, they had been really persecuted and they scattered. But you know what? That kind of settled down and they started enjoying the fruit of their labors. And they got fat and sassy. Enjoying the things of this world and lost perspective about the temporary nature of their world. Everyone say the judge is standing at the door. We've got to live like this could be the day. I said we've got to live like this could be the day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. And God, your word convicts me. Pastor James convicts me tonight. I pray, Lord, that my life and my focus would be resolutely fixed. My heart. Lord, these issues of the heart, these attitudes of the mind, these self-sufficient attitudes, these judgmental attitudes. Lord God, cleanse our hearts. Just like he said, Lord, cleanse Lord, cleanse our hands and help us purify our hearts. Help us be patient and enduring. And establish our hearts focused and fixed resolutely upon you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. Praise you, the Lord.